Now, Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. And good morning on this beautiful Friday in the Chicagoland area. It's June 25th, 2010. I feel like just yesterday it was January 1st, 2010. This is Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Coach and Big Dog are out today. Brady Stiff in on this glorious Friday morning. Uh, we'll talk some NBA draft this morning with Mark Carmen of KCSP in Kansas City. We'll talk some college football conference realignment with John Decker of HoosierNation.com. And we'll get a little horse racing in on this Friday morning with Joe Christofek, who does the selections and handicapping for the Daily Herald. Again, I'm Brady Stiff. Randy Meyer on the other side of the glass sitting in for David Olson today. You can get in on the fun as well, 888-463-6748. We'd love to hear from you. That's 888-463-6748 or 888-GO-FOR-IT. Uh, this morning, the morning after the NBA draft, um, I kind of want to talk about why I don't like the NBA. Now, you may say that sports fan blasphemy, and I will say right now that I did not watch a single minute of the NBA Finals. Yes, Lakers-Celtics, I did not watch a single minute of the NBA Finals. I just despise the NBA and everything about it. Except one thing, which we'll get into later. Um, the players' attitudes in the NBA are beyond ridiculous. And maybe this is the high school basketball ref in me talking, but Rashid Wallace just retired. He is the NBA's leading career and single-season technical fouler. 306 technical fouls in his career and 41 in one season. 41 technical fouls. How do you get 41 technical fouls? The fact that the NBA has rules that allow a player to get, I think it's 17 technicals in the regular season before they're suspended, and I think it's 7 or 8 in the playoffs before they're suspended, that's ridiculous. That's allowing way too much, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bad behavior, I guess, in, in a word. Um that's just ridiculous. Uh, players are seemingly never, never guilty of fouls. You see LeBron whine. Obviously, you saw Rashid Wallace whine. You see pretty much everybody whine about fouls that they obviously committed or violations they obviously committed. Uh, the fact that the NBA pretty much ignored the traveling rule until this past season when they said they were going to emphasize it. Well, did they? I don't know. I'd have to look up look up numbers and see how many travels were called this year. I'm sure someone's done a study. Uh, it seems like players spend just as much time arguing calls as they do playing the actual game. And that just when you, when you have players doing that, that just sets up it sets you up for failure. I mean, it, it makes it makes the players think they can do whatever they want because they're getting paid millions and millions of dollars. And these, these referees are taking abuse uh, when they really shouldn't. Uh, and like I said, maybe that's the, the high school basketball ref in me talking. I think I gave this past season, I'm trying to think, five technical fouls throughout the entire course of the season. And none of them were on players. They were all on coaches. 
for either arguing or throwing stuff or I had one coach bribe me with his wallet. <laughs> one coach literally bribed me with his wallet. Uh, and he got teed up for that. Uh, Another thing with the officiating is there's a star system in the NBA. It's it's blatant. Tim Donaghy has said on multiple radio interviews that there's a star system in the NBA, and he used that information to win his bets, and he spent time in jail for it. That's just ridiculous. If that's, I mean, obviously that's a black mark on the NBA. But the fact that he has come out, written a book about it, has used this information for his own profit uh, is just ridiculous. Uh, certain players get certain calls that others don't, and that's, you know, that that's unfair to those those players that don't get the calls, like rookies, rookies and second year guys aren't getting the same calls that LeBron James is or Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, when I go into a game, when I go into a high school game, uh, I don't know who the other team or who the team's star players are, and that makes for a much more fairly officiated game. Uh. Obviously, that's impossible for NBA refs because every game is on TV. It's all over ESPN, all over the Internet. But I think that if referees knew that knew that they were guilty of this star system and did something to correct it, I think we started to see it when uh, the NBA refs were on strike during the preseason. I think they came back for the very end of the preseason or the very beginning of the regular season. Uh, and we started to see fouls getting called on star players without without bias. And that's what needs to happen if the NBA is going to get back to the golden age. You know, when I was growing up, obviously we're in the Chicagoland area, so we, we grew up with the Bulls, we grew up with Michael, we grew up with Scotty. You know, sure, Michael got his fair share of calls. But I think the NBA was much better off then than it is now. I think... The, the image it portrays as a league is, is one about um, entertainment. And I think it's ironic that I find, and I'm not the only one, because I, I've talked to a lot of people who, who agree with me. Um, and there's, there's certainly people who, who disagree with me who love the NBA. We'll talk to one of them in, in a few minutes. Um, but there, there are a lot of people who agree with me that for a league that portrays and tries to push an entertainment image, I find it completely boring. Completely boring. Like I said, I didn't watch any of the NBA Finals. I just didn't care. Lakers, Celtics, Kobe, Phil Jackson, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce on the other side, Rajon Rondo had a great postseason. I don't care. I would rather watch Division II college basketball than the NBA. And I, I know this is a little thing, that I'm about to uh, bring up here, but I just hate that they don't, or they that that they play music while the game is going on at an NBA game. You know, you you watch a Bulls game or any game for that matter, and they're playing little um, jingles, I guess you would call them, as the game is going on. I mean, there is no atmosphere at these NBA games. The Bulls have good attendance; other teams don't. I mean, yeah, I went to school at Indiana. I went to school at a college basketball tradition rich school but college basketball is way more fun way more fun to watch i can get into it much more it's a much more uh flowing game i think than the nba game i think the one-on-one nature 
not necessarily street ball, because these are these are the best basketball players in the world. I just think the style of basketball they play is completely different from college, and it's no fun for me to watch. Now, I can watch Derrick Rose, I can watch LeBron, I can watch um, Dwayne Wade, but I can't watch it for more than 10 minutes. I just get bored, and I, I'll go do something else, which is weird to me because basketball is one of my favorite sports to play. It's one of my favorite sports to watch if there's a good game on, and it's a college game. I just can't find, I can't bring myself to get into the NBA. So you can agree with me or disagree with me. I'd love to hear from you. 888-463-6748. Now, I want to talk about one more thing um, with the NBA, and then we'll, we'll take a quick break and come back with Mark Carmen. Uh, the fact that four players can change the course of a league doesn't seem fair to me. And I'm talking about LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and Joe Johnson. LeBron, obviously, is the best player in the league. I don't think there's anyone who would doubt that. He is a free agent this summer, and if you haven't heard that yet, where have you been for the last year? Teams have been clearing cap space, clearing roster space, trying to court LeBron. It's it's like when you were in high school and you wanted to take that really pretty girl to the prom. What What would you do? To, to get her attention to take her to the prom. That's what teams are doing with LeBron James. That's what cities are doing with LeBron James. I, mean, I, there's, I don't think there's ever been anything like this. And frankly, it's a little ridiculous. For a professional sport, maybe the best player in the world could be the best player of all time, maybe. Uh, he's got a long way to go. But, that, I mean, this is professional sports. It's not the be-all, end-all. If LeBron leaves Cleveland, which I think he's almost certain to do, um, he's going to not only uh, devastate the city, but devastate the franchise. And Cleveland becomes immediately from goes from immediately being a championship contender to scratching and clawing to make the playoffs. I just I, that doesn't uh, that doesn't appeal to me. That individual individualism does not appeal to me. I'd rather see basketball be a team game all around from, and I, I, I know I'm singling out LeBron, but he does get other players involved. He regularly has triple doubles, and he's a stat sheet stuffer if there ever was one. But I just don't think it's it's fair or right that four players can change the course of an entire league. I mean, think about the Bulls. Well, I keep using the Bulls as an example. If they are able to... Uh, sign one or two of these uh, big-time max contract free agents, they will become the immediate championship contenders. I don't know. Maybe it's just me that hates the NBA, but I just I can't bring myself to get into it. I'd rather watch Japan and Ivory Coast play World Cup soccer than the NBA. Let me know what you would rather do than watch the NBA. If you uh, if you don't like the NBA, and when we come back, we'll talk with Mark Carmen, KCSP Kansas City, my good friend. We'll talk to him about the NBA draft coming up. This is two guys and a mic. Brady Stiff in for the coach on TalkZone.com.
time to get back to Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. Once again, here's the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski, on TalkZone.com. Happy Friday, everyone. It is Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Love to hear from you. 888-463-6748. Having a little trouble getting a hold of Mark Carmen, so Mark, if you're out there, go ahead and call that number uh, and we'll talk to you. Going on this weekend in Chicago is the Cubs versus the Sox down at U.S. Cellular Field. And this year is the first year they're playing for uh, a trophy. And they, they call it the BP Cup. I wonder if that cup has some of the spilled oil from the Gulf of Mexico. Bad joke. Um, anyways, I I just can't get into this this um, this series. You know, it's... I'm still in hockey mode after after the Blackhawks made their run to the to the finals, and I just can't get into baseball mode. And I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan, huge baseball fan. Um, this Cubs Sox thing just does not have the luster that it usually does. I don't know the Sox have won nine in a row, and that's great for the Sox because they've finally gotten back to what they've wanted to do for so long. Um, but the Cubs, on the other hand, yeah, they won yesterday. They, uh, they beat the Mariners three to two, took them 13 innings, but they did it. Um, they, they just don't have the, the, uh, X factor, I guess, that they had in, in 2007 and 2008, the second half of 2007, I should say. Um, and it, it hurts me to say as a Cubs fan, but, you almost just don't want to watch because you know you're going to be disappointed by a team that just can't seem to uh, get anything done on the uh, on the field with the bats, with the gloves. Um, and I am so glad that Mark Carmen called in because now we get to talk some NBA. And uh, Mark Carmen, what's going on, man? Mark, you there? Having some technical... Mark, you there? Mark Carmen. No Mark Carmen. Anyways, back to baseball. Uh, elsewhere in the league, the Rangers continue to play well. Um, the, <laughs> the Cubs gave me a little bit of hope when they went into... Um, went into Arlington, Arlington, Texas, and won two out of three against the Rangers. Uh, but they continue to play well. The Brewers, the disappointing Milwaukee Brewers, I shouldn't say disappointing because I didn't expect them to be much of anything. Um, they just swept the Minnesota Twins, who are atop the AL Central. That's great for the White, great news for the White Sox. Um Narvison, Para, and Giovanni Gallardo all got wins in that series. Francisco Liriano took a loss, Scott Baker took a loss, and Nick Blackburn all took a loss. It was seven to five, five to three, and then a five to nothing shutout um, there in um, in Milwaukee. Uh, the Brewers they, they just don't have any pitching, and that that's the thing that's been sort of hampering them from being an elite team. Uh, in the major leagues since they um, made it. 
playoff run in 07, they were the wild card, I believe. I'd have to look that up. I don't, my memory doesn't go that far back, even though it should. Um, so that's, that's, that's what's going on in baseball. Uh, the World Cup's going on, as always, and thank God for extra time. Um, the, the United States gets through the group stage for the first time since 02, I believe, um, with a extra time goal by Landon Donovan to propel the United States to victory. And watching that game, you had the the sense that this team was snake-bitten, and uh, you just you kind of had the feeling that nothing was going to go right for this team. And I don't know, I'm glad they got through. You know, I'm, I'm not a big soccer fan, however, I'm glad they got through, and I'm glad I'll get to watch another game for the United States on Saturday. I think we have Mark back. Mark, are you there? What do you mean you're not a big soccer fan, Brady? Well, Mark Carmen, it's just uh, it's never gone that way for me. I'm more of a football guy, a hockey guy. Soccer's just not my thing. Well, Brady, you know, I, I don't want to unveil too much to the listener right here, but you're really not the stature of a football player. I think soccer would be more <laughs> your sport, <laughs> and I think you should embrace what's going on with the U.S. and the great sport of soccer and the opportunity to take on a Ghana team that will be a, a big challenge uh, on Saturday. I think the world is getting involved, and you should get involved. Well, I'm not a soccer hater. I, let, let me let me let me say that I I will watch the World Cup, and I like watching the World Cup. However, it's the the three years in between World Cups that uh, soccer just kind of goes away from my sports repertoire. You, be, you don't go out to the Chicago Fire games with any regularity, is what you're saying? No, but, you know, if Neil Stone Poe Malone comes to the the racetrack <laughs> with me, I will go to a Chicago Fire game with him. Well, okay, there, see, and then there's a, a rogue sport that you support, of course, which is a disgusting habit, gambling <laughs> on uh, animals that have hey, no it's, say it's, in the matter. It's not gambling, it's investing, and especially if you're winning. However you want to put it, investing in four-legged creatures that, for the most part, don't want to be there and end up uh, tied up, shot up, and uh, dragged to kill when they can no longer run anymore. The fact that you're involved in that sport should be something that you should look at closely and uh, reconsider. (laughs) I saw 60 Minutes. I saw what they do to those horses, Brady. They treat horses like rock stars. If they can run. (laughs) If they can run. I work at Arlington Park, and they treat the horses better than they treat me. Well, and, what, what, what does that tell so you? On some level, you know, these are million dollar animals. <laughs> some of them, some of exactly, them. Exactly, exactly. Hey, there so was a uh, there was a big event last night out in New York, and uh, the NBA draft. Uh, despite my hatred for the NBA, and I know you and I have talked about that many times, I enjoy watching the NBA draft because I like to see where my favorite college players will end up, and you know who will have the biggest impact. Uh, a lot of people saw this as a very top-heavy draft, uh, a huge drop-off after John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Derek Favors, uh, Evan Turner, and Wes Johnson. Is that the way you kind of saw it? Yeah, I mean, unless you're the basketball nerd, you have no idea who these guys are. And I want to be on record that I think DeMarcus Cousins is going to stink. Uh, I think Sacramento really um, got themselves a dog. But... You know, it was an interesting day from a Chicago Bulls standpoint, simply from the Kirk Heinrich and the uh, number 17 pick to the Wizards. So they're going all in, and it's going to be 
And I, I'm one of those guys that absolutely pukes at the concept of the summer moving along. Like, I, I wish it would last forever. But I'm kind of anxious to get to July 1st now and, and see how it all shakes out. So, And I know it's not that far away. But uh, I thought it was uh, bold. And I like Kurt Heinrich, but uh, I'm not going to miss him. I don't think many Bulls fans will. I always kind of looked at him as an underachiever. And it makes sense, I guess, for the Wizards because they weren't going to be getting – you know, a high-profile uh, free agent, plus you've got Heinrich to tutor uh, John Wall. So I, I see it from their angle, but, uh, I, uh, you know, obviously you see it from the Bulls' angle. Sure. I mean, they now have the cap space to attract two max contract free agents, whether that be LeBron and Chris Bosh or Joe Johnson and Chris Bosh, um, any combination of those guys. And do the Bulls immediately go to championship contender if they can pull this one off? Well, I have been predicting that the Lakers would win four championships in a row, Brady. I started that last year, and uh, so far we're two in, and it makes me puke, by the way, and I, I can't. I, I, I long for the day for Kobe Bryant to lose, so I don't have to hear the comparisons to the greatest player to play anything, Michael Jordan. Of course. Uh, but but I, I think that like the only chance right now for the Lakers not to win next year is if the Bulls can get LeBron and someone else. Because otherwise... You could say, all right, they've already won two, and they're getting a little older, but who is going to beat them? And literally, I think the Bulls, if they can pull it off, would have the best shot. Now, I don't think LeBron's coming. I think he's going to stay in Cleveland. Really? I, I do. What, what, I do what makes you think that? What makes me think that? Well, look, he's from there. He just was at Akron uh, Appreciation Day for LeBron. The, the ties run pretty deep. Right. Um. You know, and they, just, they can I, offer him more money, right? They And he can make more money by staying with the Cavs. Now, they've blown out the head coach. They've blown out the general manager, Danny Ferry. Uh, you know, he's gone as well. So I, I, I look like, to me, it seems like they're just doing everything they can to help have him stay. Now, I don't think... I don't think he's going to sign a seven-year max deal. I think he's going to sign like a three-year max deal. Give him like so one he can more shot, cash one in more again shot to build it. Right. So you know he'll what is he twenty-five? So he'll be twenty-eight. I mean, if it doesn't work out, and he'll he's still have time. Still a ridiculously young guy, and he's got a long career ahead of him. We're talking with Mark Carmen of KCSP six ten AM in Kansas City, formerly of WGN Radio here in Chicago. Uh, Oklahoma City was was really active in this draft. Four or five trades. Uh, they add uh, your hometown guy, Cole Aldrich. Uh, did they do enough to get them past the first round of the playoffs? That's an interesting concept right there. I like what Oklahoma City's doing, mainly because they have Kevin Garnett. And this guy... Durant. Yeah, I'm not Kevin Garnett. Kevin Durant, <laughs> I'm sorry. Dude, Kevin Durant is, a, is just a freak. And right. I saw him play as a freshman. I was working in beautiful Austin, Texas. I saw him at UT, and I'm thinking to myself, that guy has got a unique skill set. And now, you know, he, he comes in, and they're the Seattle Supersonics originally, and he's a little thin like most rookies, and he's not shooting a very high percentage, and you kind of wonder about his motor. And then you find out that this guy's in the gym three times a day, 365 days a year. And he was just told to take two weeks off by his head coach. He's like, go on vacation, do anything, sit in the sun, he calls him up two days later. He's in Washington, D.C., playing pickup with his boys. <laughs> That's how so, guys get hurt, though, so maybe he should cool it. it there's, there's no doubt.
well, but this, these guys, you know, when you have somebody like that who has that much passion at the top of your organization, he's your best player. Oklahoma City, and, and then you throw in a Westbrook at the point guard spot. I, I'm telling you that that team is heading in the right direction. It's Cole Aldrich, uh, I'm not so certain about that one. I mean, he's you know a guy that averaged 11 and nine and regressed from his sophomore year to his junior year, and you lose to Northern Iowa. I mean, if you're a big time center. I don't care how many, what was his name, Farika Mukamino, hitting the three ball from the right wing. That that should not have happened. I'm sorry. You're in, in my mind. Ali Farouk Manesh. Yeah, exactly. Plus you had Xavier Henry on that team and Sharon Collins with an outside shot of making the league. Of course, he didn't get drafted. But, I mean, that just, to me, uh, Cole, you know, he, he looks, I guess on the high end, maybe he can become like a Matt Geiger. I hate to compare white on white because that's just, <laughs> You know, too racial for me, but that's that's what I see out of him. You mentioned Xavier Henry, um, and there's a couple other guys sort of like him that came in this draft. Um, I'm talking about Daniel Orton and Eric Bledsoe out of Kentucky, who they seemingly sort of determined they were coming out of college after one year before you know they even finished their year of college. Is the one and done rule hurting the NBA at all? It's hard to break that one down for me because you've got the one side of, yes, you'd rather have these guys more developed, and but no, you shouldn't be able to stop somebody from earning a living. And it's just, to me, if they're, you know, look, no one's pointing a gun at the NBA general manager and saying you have to pick this guy. I mean, they're, they're picking him. So I... I mean, I think they should be able to come out out of high school. Is it good for the NBA? No, but I mean, how do you how do you stop you know free market society? That's how I see it. I mean, and these players, you know, you, you listen to them, and I, you know, Kansas has a player coming in this year, uh, Josh Selby, mm-hmm. and he was asked about being a one and done, and his comments like, well, you know, everybody, every player's dream is to be a one and done, and. I mean, just listening to that kind of makes you sick. Every player's dream is to be a one and done, but how is it not when you you know the type of dollars that you're talking right. about? How do you stay in school? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Right. It's, as much it's, as I love, I mean, I love the college co-ed, and I know you do too, Brady. Absolutely. But how, how do you stay? Yeah, uh, it's it's a tough situation because you put yourself in these guys' shoes, and you know we're talking about the Derrick Roses, Tyreek Evans, Kevin Durant. Uh, we're talking about guys who can make millions and millions of dollars. At 19 years old, if I was 19, uh, and I was a short time ago, and I had a chance to make millions and millions of dollars, I'd. There's no way I'm turning that down. You know, I mean, it's it's impossible to say that from a human standpoint, from a college basketball fan standpoint. Yes, you want these guys to stay in school, and you wish that the NBA did not have this rule so that more guys would be inclined to stay and try and win a national title, develop their game until they're absolutely NBA ready. Uh, I just I feel like some of these guys go when they think they're ready instead of when they really are ready. You know, they go if they think they're going to be picked. It doesn't matter if they're ready or not. The, the argument against them coming out, if I was their agent, I'd tell them, look, you know, you're going to go to the league right now and you're probably going to get picked in the first round and you're going to make some, you know, huge money. But... You're not ready. You're going to sit on the bench, and when that contract's up, you're you're not going to get another. Whereas if you stay in college and develop your skills, you'll probably be picked in the same exact spot, but you'll be ready to come in and contribute, 
And when you're a free agent three years out from there, then you're going to get the huge money deal where you can take care of not only yourself, but your kids, your grandkids, your grandkids' kids, and Brady's kids. Exactly. So, you know, that, that would be the argument for me against it. Because, you know, if, you, if you're not going to play, then, you know, you could be, end up costing yourself money long term. But it's hard to see that. Gordon Hayward out of Butler went ninth to Utah. And uh, That's a Utah pick. Yeah. Uh, ben Heisler, a mutual friend of ours, had a, a Facebook status saying um, the Jazz must think Hay- Hayward is the next Jeff Hornacek, which I found hilarious. Um, but is this a guy who, who can make a, a big impact at, at this level? Because, yeah, he's he's got the size, but he's skinny. He can score. His stock really didn't rise, though, until the NCAAs of this season, uh, where he almost made history with that shot at the end of the game, uh, the championship game. But is Gordon Hayward a guy who can make a, a, a sizable impact at this level? Well, and no offense to Ben Heisler, but I find that comparison to Jeff Hornacek to be preposterous because this guy is not a, you know, that's the white-on-white comparison that I hate. This guy is not a stand-in-the-corner, you know, beat-you-off-the-dribble laser shooter. This guy is a, he's like a Manu Ginobili who can get in the lane and do a million things. I sure. Mean, I, uh, you know, I, I, look, you take Butler to the championship game against the Dukies, and, and almost pull it off, you're pretty darn good in my mind. I haven't watched, to be honest, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, I haven't seen Gordon Hayward enough to really break down his game, but what I did see is somebody that could get in the lane, somebody with a tremendous competitive spirit. I loved his reaction last night. I think it, and you get him with Jerry Sloan in, in that environment, I think it's a great pick. And, uh, you know, if, I'm not saying he's going to be an NBA All-Star, but I think he'll be a solid NBA player. One last question before I let you go, and it's not basketball-related at all. I know you're a tennis guy. What do you think of the uh, the Isner-Mahout match that went three days? Now, is it Mahout or Mahou, and is it Isner or Eisner? That's a good question. I think it, tomato, tomato, it depends on who you talk to. All right, well, what, what did I think about it? Uh, I do love tennis, and I, and I long for the days of a... Uh, of a McEnroe and a Jimmy Connors and that whole era. And, you know, Sunday mornings at Wimbledon was like must-see TV. I mean, it, it got great ratings and people were in. And tennis, obviously, is not anywhere close to that anymore, even though you do have two pretty uh, darn entertaining guys at the top in, in Nadal and Federer. But uh, I read an interesting article, Brady, and I suggest you. Uh, his name is Joe Pesdansky. Pez- and he used to write for the Kansas City Star, and now he's gone on to bigger and better. And he wrote an article on it just talking about the will of these two guys to sit there and, you know, battle through three days, 11 hours, never. It just It's really an incredible accomplishment just from a standpoint of keeping yourself mentally and physically able to do it. Now, Eisner got, or Isner got smoked in his match today, or yesterday he got beaten straight sets and said he had absolutely no legs, and, I wonder why, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought it was pretty cool, but, you know, I, could, I didn't find myself watching it a whole lot, to be honest, just because it was, you know, laser after laser after laser. It wasn't, it wasn't what I would call great tennis. It was Wimbledon tennis, you know, where 
and you play on grass to serve is such an advantage. And, right. But I never really, you know, I, I like a little more artistry in the game, so I, I didn't find myself. And plus, I mean, when you don't know, never heard of either the two guys, <laughs> you know, I, it, it, you know, I wouldn't if I saw. I'd be more compelled to see you play Neil Malone. On, uh, that would be entertaining. You see, now that would be great. But I do love the sport, and uh, people should uh, don't don't hate on tennis. It's it's a great game. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for taking the time for joining us. Listen to Mark Royals pregame and postgame there in Kansas City. You doing the hot dog race again on Saturday? I, I am back in the suit on Saturday. I uh, was, without sparing the long details, I, I was cheated out of the first race by midday host or mid-morning host Sean Sharif, who kicked off his shoes and ran barefoot <laughs> and beat me at the end, and I'm still bitter about it. Um, I do want to get the post-game interview in the hot dog suit and try to uh, promote myself because I'm a sick man. Uh, but and I, I'm really I'm going up against intern Carrington, who uh, is a long-legged African American who I'm going to take down and and beat into a, into a uh, silly pulp. And then there's uh, the wild card of who they pick out of the crowd. So right. hopefully it will be a Brady stiff type, and I will annihilate him. Well, don't underestimate my type here, Mark. <laughs> I know, Brady. You got you got the burst. <laughs> People need to know that. There's yes, no doubt about it. I, you're uh, you used to steal bases like a champion until they what you got your whole face kicked in. Yeah, I yeah I broke my jaw sliding into second base. It wasn't pretty. That is, that is, but the, the determination that you showed in that moment, <laughs> second to none, Brady. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mark, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Brady. Take care. Dreams. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to John Decker, editor and publisher of HoosierNation.com, a little college football uh, conference realignment. Keep it right here, TalkZone.com. Two guys in a mic, Brady Stiff in for the coach. are open for your calls on two guys and a mic call 888 go for it once again here's the coach john cone and the big dog joel radwanski on talkzone.com it is two guys and a mic on a friday morning in the chicagoland area brady stiff in for the coach and the big dog and i'm excited to bring in john decker of hoosiernation.com john how's it going Good. How are you, Brady? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to join me. How's uh, how's life in Bloomington these days? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's quiet. It's quiet summer, which is actually a good thing. You know, we've had so many uh, tumultuous summers with uh, coaching changes and scandals and things like that. So it's kind of a welcome change to have um, you know, I guess, some calm before you know the storm when the seasons get here. I'll bet, and I'll bet who's your fans were. 
Uh, a little relieved to hear that Tom Izzo would be staying at Michigan State, just in case Tom Crean was thinking of uh, jet-setting up to East Lansing. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, it's the kind of thing that, you know, certainly 10 years ago, you'd never think that somebody would leave Indiana to go to Michigan State. But with the, <laughs> the job they've done up there and, and the ties, you you never know what would happen because certainly this Indiana rebuilding job, um, you know, I think Tom Crane's doing a really good job with it. But it certainly I think it's been harder than probably he even expected. So if that offer had come, you know, who knows what he would have done. I think he was talking to, uh, was it Dan Patrick, one of those national radio shows where he said that, if he knew the job was going to be this difficult, he wouldn't have taken it. Does that does that surprise you that he would actually say that? Yeah, I, I'm I'm not surprised he would think that. I mean, I think I'm probably am a little surprised that he would actually say it because um, I do think you know from conversations with him and, and I think just looking at the situation that um, as bad as it was, it was even worse once you got in there and realized some of the academic problems, some of the discipline problems. Um, you know, you kind of knew that there was probably going to be something coming from the NCAA. You knew that Eric Gordon was going to leave. But, um, you know, I think when you got in there and actually saw the kind of kids that were here and some of the problems that uh, maybe the general public didn't know, um, I don't think you realized it was going to be just completely wiping the plate clean. Right. Well, as much as I would love to talk college basketball for the next 20 minutes, uh, football comes first. And... Uh, I know it's sort of old news, but this conference realignment thing isn't going away. Uh, Nebraska is the one to join the Big Ten, the only one for now. Um, is the Big Ten done after Nebraska? Uh, yeah, I think they're done for the time being, but I mean, I think that they've had visions of doing something much bigger. You know, I think that um, when you look at this, you know, their immediate need was to get that 12 teams so they could have a you know, have divisions and have a championship game and get the additional money that comes with that. And, um, you know, so that's probably the first phase of it. And um, they obviously accomplished that with Nebraska, um, a team that I think really upgrades their reputation as far as football. Um, I don't know that it does a great deal as far as, you know, bringing in, you know, big additional markets. But, um, you know, I think that that kind of fills that need. And I think that over the next, you know, a couple of years, if the right opportunities present themselves i think you could see them go to 14 or 16 but i don't think they'll force it i mean i think um they want big time programs i mean i know that they obviously want notre dame everybody has known that for 10 or 15 years but um you know they certainly have a lot of interest in texas and um if they can do something to get big name programs like that in a couple years i think they'll pursue it but i don't think that they will and this is not meant as a, a slight of missouri but but if if to get to 16 teams, they have to add four teams of the athletic caliber up in Missouri, I don't think they'll do it because I don't know what real benefit you get. You just end up, you know, dividing the, the TV revenue pie by four additional teams without maybe, you know, really heightening the, the profile of the conference. We're talking with John Decker of HoosierNation.com, and he wrote an article about 10 days ago. And, and John, you said that... Uh, the Big Ten is was victorious in realignment because Nebraska was uh, the biggest name that actually moved uh, conferences. Why? So why why did the Big Ten choose Nebraska, and why didn't they push harder for maybe a, a Texas or um, you mentioned Missouri, and certainly Notre Dame's been in the conversation, but why Nebraska? Well, you know, I think that they were in in some ways the easiest to get now. You know, I think that um, certainly they would have preferred to have Notre Dame right off the bat. And, 
preferred to have Texas, but um, you know those were programs also that well, obviously Notre Dame. If it has its way, it's going to remain independent, and I think it will do everything it can to do that. So that wasn't going to be an easy sell. I think Texas, um, you know, had some things that it was looking at as far as having its own TV network. Certainly, it has been the big name in, in all this realignment talk. So they were going to have a lot of different opportunities and a lot of di- different options. So I don't think it was necessarily going to be easy to get them to do something quickly. And, and I think that the Big Ten wanted to move fairly quickly if they could to get to that 12th team. And, um, you know, if you can't get Notre Dame and if you can't get Texas, um, and, and we all know this is primarily a football-driven move here. Um, you know, Nebraska, I think it makes sense uh, geographically. Um, I think they'll end up having a pretty natural rivalry with uh, with Iowa. Um, certainly with the tradition that that program has had, I think it does a lot for the conference. And, um, and, and I think when you look at what was going on in Nebraska, and I think a lot of people in the Big Ten maybe didn't know this, you know, you know Texas has so much you know, driven what's happened in the Big 12 and, um, and a lot of the Schools like Nebraska have maybe had to take a back seat and kind of react to what they've done. And I think ultimately, over a course you know, years, I think that that kind of can grind on some people. And I think that's what happened in Nebraska. They got tired of having to do whatever Texas wanted to do and saw an opportunity to, to go to a, a good conference and make some more money. And, and that's why they were easier to get um, you know, pretty quickly. How much extra money are we talking about here? Because you got the Big Ten Network. Now the Big Ten can have their coveted championship game, uh, is it in the millions, tens of millions? What, what are we talking about here? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers. I mean, I, I would certainly think that it's in the uh, you know lower tens of millions. I mean, I think that the, when you when you can have a Big Ten championship game, um, that's certainly going to do some things. I, I don't know exactly as to when their TV contracts come up, but when you add in Nebraska, you know, I think that you probably are able to do a little bit more when you're when you're doing your deals with ESPN and things and um, and also, yeah, I would suspect that, you know, it's a big network, you know, suddenly now that's going to, I mean, the state of Nebraska is obviously crazy about Nebraska football. Sure. So I would think the Big Ten Network is going to end up getting picked up by all their cable stations there. So you're going to do some things there. I mean, it's not going to be a huge splash, but it's certainly going to do enough to, to make up for the difference of having to split it with one more school. Um, and teams will be getting a little bit more than that. So not a... Not a huge deal, but but certainly everybody's going to get a little bit more. We got a year before Nebraska actually plays its first Big Ten game. Uh, but for this upcoming Big Ten football season, is I mean Ohio State's probably the heavy favorite again. Uh, but can Iowa repeat its success? I mean, they kind of came out of nowhere last season. They did, and, and I think. Um... I grew up in Iowa, so uh, you know certainly Indiana. Having gone to IU is, is a team I followed most closely, but but I still have some ties to Iowa, and I know a lot of people there. And and I think the job that Iowa has done for a long time has been pretty impressive because they're never able to recruit on the level of Michigan or or Penn State or Ohio State, and and they continually seem to be a team that is able to compete. And um, I see no reason to think that they that they can't compete. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think with the way things are right now in the Big Ten, you go into every year, Ohio State is going to be the favorite no matter what they bring back, no matter what they lose, because their ability to recruit the state of Ohio makes them a national title contender every year. But um, sure. you know, I think Iowa's going to be in there. I think they're going to certainly push Ohio State, but um, I would certainly have to think that Ohio State is 
still going to be the team to beat. How long does um, Rich Rodriguez have up in uh, Ann Arbor before he's sort of shown the door? Because in two seasons he hasn't had you know great years trying to implement his offense, and now with this NCAA ruling coming down uh, in August, um, how long does he have before he's unceremoniously shown the door? I think that he's got to win this year, and, and um, I think he has to win pretty big. You know, I, they're obviously not going to, you know, compete for a national title, but um, you know, if they go seven and five, I, I think he's gone. I mean, I think that they have to win big. When, when you consider the fact that you know, the first losing season in however many years, not going to bowl games, and then when you couple that with uh, getting in trouble with the NCAA, I don't know that it could be a whole lot worse. So. um I think they've got to win nine games this year to give them a chance. And I'm going to be really interested. I believe it's either the Big Ten opener or the second game. You know, Indiana plays Michigan. Indiana mm-hmm. had a great chance to win up there. Last year didn't do it. And um, if Michigan loses that game to Indiana and Bloomington, I think the wheels are off and, and it's over for him. Yeah, Michigan fans will not stand for that. Um, you know, Indiana had a couple good years in football, and the sh- the – the unfortunate passing of Terry Hepner. I mean, you and I saw it up close and personal. Uh, Indiana was on the right track, and then now, you know, not so much. Um, quickly, uh, uh, last question here. Predict Indiana's record for me because, you know, in the past couple of years they've had, what, eight, nine home games it seems like, and now I think it's just six or seven? Um, they have uh, they have seven. They have um, the – no, I'm sorry, they have six. They have the uh, three non-conference and then – um, I believe three home games in the conference. So, and, and they got that that game this that that's this year at um, in Washington against Penn State. Is that that's this year, right? Yes. It yeah. Is. So that, that that'll be a tough game. Um, do you think Indiana gets back to that six win mark? I mean, is that possible? I'm sure it's possible, but is it probable? Um, well, with Indiana football, to ever say six wins is probable. <laughs> it's, it's probably foolish unless they're. Uh, <laughs> They've won five in a row, but 28 to nothing in the fourth quarter of the sixth one. But uh, I'm going to say they should. I mean, I think when you look at the, uh, even though they only have six home games, all four non-conference games are clearly games that they should win. Um, you know, I think uh, getting Michigan at home early on, I would think that, I hate to say Indiana should win that game, but with what they did up there in Ann Arbor last year, I think they'll have a great chance to do that. And um if you win all four of your non-conference games, um, I think that there's enough talent on Indiana's team um, to think that they can win two Big Ten games. So I would personally, uh, if I were an IU fan, I'd be disappointed if they didn't win six games for sure. All right, John. Well, thanks so much for taking the time this morning, and uh, go enjoy some nice Bloomington weather. I know I wish I could be there right now, but uh, here I am in Chicago. Well, you know, Chicago's not uh, not too bad, but uh, I'll certainly I'll do my best down here. All right, thanks again, John. John Decker of HoosierNation.com. Have a good one, John. All right, that was John Decker of HoosierNation.com. We will take a very quick break. Don't go away. Joe Joe Christofek of the Daily Herald, Arlington Park, HorsePlayerNow.com. I'll let him explain all that he does. This is Two Guys in a Mic on TalkZone.com.
the lines are open for your calls on Two Guys and a Mic. Call 888-GO-FOR-IT. Once again, here's the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski, on TalkZone.com. Well, I did say that was going to be a quick break, and it was. This is Two Guys and a Mic, Brady Stiff in for the coach. And I'm excited to bring in uh, a guy who I work with at Arlington Park. And I'm a big horse racing fan, and I know he is. Uh, he's Joe Christofek of, and I sort of plugged everything, Joe, or I tried to, but I know there's more that you do. Uh, um, when you do your resume, you're supposed to try to keep it to one, maybe two pages. <laughs> I've done just about everything in horse racing outside of mucking stall. You know, that's something I wouldn't mind uh, trying one day is working on the backstretch. But, yeah, you know what, Brady, and, and, and you're kind of in this realm, too, and I know you've got a bright future out of you. I kind of turned my um, passion and my hobby into my job, and you know, I've been doing this uh, for the better part of the last 18 years, and I don't see myself doing anything different. Well, it's great that you were able to do that, and you're right. I, I would love to do something, you know, along the lines of you're doing, whether it's horse racing, baseball, basketball, anything in sports, but... Um, you know, horse racing is not what it used to be, unfortunately. And it, it used to be second to baseball in this country um, as far as, you know, sports sports rankings, I guess, go. Uh, what happened to horse racing in the last 30 to 40 years? That's a great question, and it's a, it's a well-rounded question, and it's something we could probably discuss for the, for the next hour. But simply put, a couple different things happened. First of all, back when uh, television came into play in the in the 40s and 50s, and horse racing was, you know, the only gambling venue that people could visit live, horse racing didn't think they needed television. They basically said, you know what, we're the only way for people to gamble. We're filling the the racetracks 40 and 50 thousand at a time on the weekends. You know, we're we're highly successful doing what we're doing, and they didn't jump on the television bandwagon while other sports did, and they, they kind of fell behind the eight ball, you know, making that critical error at that point. In addition, um, outside of Las Vegas, where, you know, basically uh, you had the ability to gamble, you know, legally, casinos have popped up all over the country, whether they be land-based casinos or, you know, in the state of Illinois, we had the riverboats come in, and that's taken away a lot of the gambling dollar from the horse racing fans. In addition to poker, you look at, you know, the, the, the explosion of poker over the last few years. You know, it, horse racing can be a game that you can enjoy on many different levels, regardless of how you select your horses, but it's also a very intellectual game on many levels if you want to succeed long-term, where people are looking for the quick fix in this day and age, and they want to pull a slot machine handle or taking a step up, you know, maybe you play a little Texas Hold'em, which takes a little bit more intelligence, but you still have to get the cards. Right. Horse racing is a puzzle, you know, and, and people just don't want to put the time in to try to become successful at it, although, you know, you and I think it's a fantastic game. Yeah, you and I do the same thing uh, at Arlington. Well, I do a lot less than you do, but um, we teach people about horse racing. And it's not just, you know, telling people which horse to bet on. It's it's getting people interested in the sport because it, it's not just a, a gambling outlet. It is... It's called the sport of kings for a reason. It's a really regal, elegant sport. And if if fans really take the time to appreciate what goes on at the racetrack, uh, they I think they would become big fans. But some uh, some people and you know maybe it's it's the nature of our society. They see it as uh, just a way to try and make a, a quick buck. And 
you know, you and me, we're, we're young guys and we appreciate the sport. In your opinion, what do we, what do we do to get people back to the track? Is it, is it night racing? Is it, is it slots? What, what, what do you think? There's so many things. I mean, the slot machines help in one regard. They help with the, uh, day to day per structure at the track, meaning if you have slot machines, you're able to offer higher daily purses and that attracts higher quality horses and attracts higher quality horsemen, which, um, in, in turn will, will raise the average field size. And people that play this game religiously like to see eight, nine, 10, 12 horses in a race, not six. Right. So there, there's, a, a major, uh, benefit to having the slot machines from a financial standpoint. But, you know, there's things that we can do. I just think that horse racing as a whole doesn't know how to market itself. You mentioned the fact that, you know, you can come to the racetrack. It's a regal sport. Arlington, which we're both very lucky to work at, is a beautiful racetrack, one of the most beautiful in the country. In comparison, there are a lot of racetracks that are just racetracks. So Arlington attracts a different kind of crowd. Now, the problem in the industry as a whole is our fan base is shrinking because a lot of the people that you mentioned that went to the racetracks back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, they're becoming older, and a lot of those people are dying off, and we need to replenish the fan base. With knowledge comes interest, Brady, and you know this from being at Arlington and working with a lot of different groups. People come into the racetrack and have no freaking idea what's going on. That's right. With the exception of the fact that those horses running around a track, and it's our job to try to teach them, and the racetracks need to do a much, 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 much better job of educating the people that come through their doors. Because when you go to a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game, as a fan, you can relate to the players, you can relate to the team, and you know what's going on. Right. We need to do a better job of educating people. Right. And you mentioned baseball, and I've I've got this theory um, that the, a Triple Crown winner would do absolute wonders for the sport, sort of like the Olympics, uh, what the Olympics did for hockey. And I just don't know if there's ever – well, I shouldn't say ever, but – I think the the way horses are handled now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way horses, elite horses, are handled now, they aren't ready for five or uh, three really long races in five weeks. Well, my, here's my opinion on the Triple Crown, and I agree with you to a certain extent about the Triple Crown, a Triple Crown winner potentially giving us more exposure within the sport. But, Brady, that exposure that we would get would be short-lived. The, the problem with racing is, you know, you don't have the great rivalries anymore because after a three-year-old season, a lot of these horses go to stud. You don't sure. get to see them race into their four-year-old or five-year-old years, you know, with Curlin being an exception and Zenyatta being an exception. A Triple Crown winner would give us um, limited – it would give us more exposure, but it would be short-term exposure. The education part is the big part of this, and getting people to learn more about the game and getting people more comfortable wagering on the sport is what's going to help grow the sport. As far as the Triple Crown itself, you know, in baseball, uh, basketball, football, all of these sports have made adjustments, particularly hockey, which has really taken a step forward in recent years after their strike. They've all made adjustments to the rules. They've all implemented replay in some way, shape, or form, although I think Baseball needs to do a much better job with their replay system. Sure. Horse racing doesn't do anything to change itself. The Triple Crown has been the same way forever. You've got the Derby, a mile and a quarter, taxing race. The Preakness two weeks later in the Belmont, a mile and a half, three weeks after that. 
not only are you making it difficult to win a triple crown, but you're absolutely draining the horse population of three-year-olds. That is a right. taxing situation where a lot of horses don't bounce back out of that. Now, we've had several horses come close in the last 15 years, you know, seven or eight, in fact, and a lot of those horses weren't good enough to be crowned triple crown winners, in my honest opinion. A lot of it's timing, a lot of it's the crop, a lot of it's the, the last horse standing at the end. But, uh, you know, it's a simple change. It's one that should be made, not necessarily to give us a better chance at a Triple Crown winner, but to keep the three-year-old crop intact. Right. All right, Joe. Well, i got to run, but uh, I will see you this afternoon out at Arlington. Uh, you have a great what's left of the morning. Uh, it's about an hour. Uh, and I will see you out this afternoon at Arlington. Thank you so much for taking the time, uh, and we'll see you later. All right. Sensational. Great job, man. I will uh, see you soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Thanks to Mark Carmen of KCSP in Kansas City, John Decker of HoosierNation.com, and you just heard Joe Christofek of multiple different um, institutions. This has been Two Guys and a Mic. Thanks to TalkZone.com. Thanks to Randy Meyer for filling in. Thanks to Coach and Big Dog for uh, letting me sit in here. Uh, hopefully I haven't done anything to make TalkZone take the show off the air. But uh, hopefully that hasn't gone down. Coach is back on Monday. This is Two Guys and a Mic. Again, I'm Brady Stiff. The NBR.wordpress.com. You can hear more of my thoughts. Thanks again to Randy Meyer. See you on Monday.